It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. Going through a series called Becoming Brave, and uh, I've been stirred in the prep of this. And the reason I'm even prepping it is because I feel like it is so significant even for my soul. Now, a lot of this for me is rekindling truths that I know that just sort of begin to go out. And in a time of, uh, we could call it world crisis, in a time of financial crisis, in a time of health crisis, you can feel very destabilized as a believer. And yet, God promises to give us something that literally eliminates, makes us immune to fretting, foreboding, to anxiety and fear. It gives us a buoy in the midst of every challenge. Why wouldn't we take that? And that's what this Becoming Brave series is about. It's about the truths that literally cultivate that strength and that fortitude in our souls, in our minds, in our hearts, and in our actions, which make us truly world changers. Because if you're brave, watch out world. Uh, This is part four, and it's called Getting Bomb Blast Friendly. Uh, obviously quite the name. And, you know, when a bomb blast hits, usually it shakes up your life quite a bit. Uh, it, it alters uh, a lot of things around you. A bomb usually wins when it lands, right? Uh, it's reverberating effects uh, change the landscape around it. And yet I'm going to say, hey, you know what? As a Christian, as a believer, we can actually experience bomb blasts, traumatic events around us, and we just walk right through them. Yeah, we've grown friendly with bomb blasts. They actually show that we're different than everyone around us. So a bomb blast actually is almost a stage for the believer to demonstrate that we have access to something. It's called bravery. And as a result, when everyone else is melting like candle wax, we're walking right through the dust and debris. And we have been given something in Christ Jesus to demonstrate to this world something altogether supernatural. So getting bomb blast friendly. The power of foreboding. I don't know if you've ever heard the word foreboding before. It's a significant word. And my mom used it a lot growing up, which is maybe why, I, why I'm familiar with it and why I've used it many uh, for many years in my ministry. But uh, one of the ways that my mom described it, which I think could probably be good for you uh, all to hear, is she said, yeah, foreboding is like witchcraft, Eric. It's like fortune telling is what it's like. Now, I don't know if that's an accurate depiction of my mom's voice, but the words have always stood out to me. Uh, And I've thought about it a lot that foreboding is the great what if, but what if this happens? But what if this happens? See, the devil is feeding you a whole bunch of nonsense. And when you begin to forecast your future, Based on the devil's input, what is that? Well, that's fortune telling, as my mom would say. That's witchcraft. (laughs) Well, when you call it that, it's amazing how you want to run the other way from it. Those are some dark terms, right? Exactly. Foreboding is evil. It is a dangerous practice of the soul, and yet many of us have been caught red-handed doing it. 
The devil is feeding things for our health, for our finances, for our, you know, our, our future as American citizens here, you know, as Christians. How's the church going to be in the upcoming years? And there's a foreboding. But what is our anticipation and what is our future expectation based upon? Is it based upon the enemy's input or is it based upon God's input? And that's a very, very significant question to answer. And so I'm going to, well, here's a definition of foreboding that I have. Foretelling your future using the devil's notions, data, and input, and then trembling over it. Isn't it a funny thought to tremble over something that the devil concocted? It's his ideas, it's his notions, but you, in a sense, have bought them as your own. And so then you begin to tremble over your own anticipations. That is ridiculous. That isn't how a Christian behaves. And so let me give you a Christian behavior. I have to make up a word to do it. But the power of forwarding. Now, if you've ever seen the beginning of a book where there's a forward, it's actually the same spelling of it. So it's like that. It's that which comes before the the main text of the main book. And yet you notice if you see this on a video that I, I emphasize the part of the word that is word. So the power of forwording, instead of foreboding, we're forwording. You see, there's something that we're not boding ill and we're not, we're not thinking negative thoughts towards our future. We're actually thinking God thoughts towards our life and future. And so you're forwording it. Okay, like I said, I'm making up a word for this. And so here's my subtitle for that one, anticipating the billion possibilities of how God can turn all this for good. If you ever had that, it's like, oh, what could God do? Wow, he's going to win this, but how is he going to win it? Well, that's forwarding. So you know something that the foreboder doesn't know, and that is this is all going to turn out great. You see, God wins. Do you, do you remember that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father? How, did you forget that? You see, you're foreboding, you're not forwarding. You're basing your, your thinking upon the enemy's input instead of the word of God. What does God say about it? So here's a quick definition of forwarding. Anticipating your future using the God using God's promises, his facts and his input and then rejoicing over it. So you see the the forwarder or the Christian They're always rejoicing. Why? Because they're using God's input, his facts, his promises as their reasoning point. It's the fill four filter, Philippians four filter. When it's talking about here's what you're supposed to think on. And when you think on the word of God, instead of the devil's notions, his nonsense, you thrive, which is why God is giving us that wisdom. He's giving us that pattern. Foreboding is the foundation of cowardice. So if you're foreboding, you become a coward. Listen to this. Forwording is the foundation of bravery. So if we're going to understand the making of brave, we need to understand forwording. We need to understand how to turn to the word of God. Leslie and I use the phrase a lot. We need to get rock beneath our feet on this one. And we'll say that. So we're going through a a challenge. We're going through a trial. And we might be a little dizzy and there might be a little fog about us. And we're like trying to discern what are we supposed to do? What's the wisdom for this situation? How does God see this? Well, what do we do? We need rock beneath our feet. We need something under our standing. That's where the word understanding comes from. We need something strong down there, not sand, because I need to be brave right now, and I don't want to be a coward that I'm just going to fall and crumple. I need to know that I can stand right now. Well, to be able to know that, I need word. I need scripture. I need truth. I need God. And so that's what we as believers do. We turn to rock 
as opposed to nonsense from this world. The devil wants to convince us that there are limits to what we can handle. You ever heard whisperings like this to your soul? Actually, you know, I have them in the, uh, the first person pronoun, like, I can't go through this. I can't stand this anymore. I can't go another day like this. You know, I've had those thoughts go through my head. However, you need to know where they come from. They're not coming from God's word. God's word is not saying, yeah, you, you can't go through this. God's, God's word is not saying to you, yeah, you can't stand this anymore. You're going to crumple. God's not saying to you, yeah, you can't last another day like this. You see, as a believer, we have everything we need for life and godliness. We have the supply. This is coming from the devil. He's whispering to you, trying to get you to forebode. And when you participate in that, should I use my mom's definition? You're participating in witchcraft and fortune telling. You're saying my life is going to fall to pieces instead of my life is in God's hands and he takes very good care of his saints. You see, there's a very different lens that you're looking at your life through when you forward instead of forebode. So what's the truth? If we're going to get rock beneath our feet in the time of crisis, in a time of difficulty, we're facing something that we don't know that we can handle. What does the word tell us? Philippians 4.13, I know you know this, but let's forward it. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And that includes this very situation right now. I can endure it. I can last underneath it. I can go through this as long as God needs me to walk through this. I don't need to say that this is my last and final day and I'm going to snap if I don't if I have to go through it one more day. That is not the way God thinks. That's not the way his children think. So as a result, I can do all things through Christ who gives gives me strength. I can be a Christian not just today, but an hour from now and seven hours from now and 24 hours from now and 24 days from now and 24 months from now. It doesn't matter if this trial continues. I have grace. I have everything I need for life and godliness. I have the supply from heaven. That's how we forward instead of forebode. When you forebode, you look at that and you say, oh, I can't handle it. And you'd be right. But a Christian doesn't lean on what they can do. They lean on what God is able to do in them and through them. How about this one? Jesus in Matthew 19, verse 26. With men, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. That's how you forward your circumstances instead of forebode them. Get the truth of the word of God planted squarely in the situation. Yes, it may be impossible. When you're standing at a Red Sea moment in your life, yes, it's impossible for man. But with God, all things are possible. With God, nothing shall be impossible. God loves the impossible situations. He just wants us to trust him in those moments instead of forebode disaster. The Egyptians are going to get us. We're lost. Instead of, no, God has us right where he wants us. At this time in history, he wanted us right here because he desires to do something, to show his strength and his power. Right now, you may be backed up to a Red Sea. Right now, you may be in a circumstance. You may be somewhere in the globe. You may be in the Ukraine right now getting bombed. And right now, it could seem very, very dark. Instead, you need to recognize you're not just backed into a corner and the Egyptians are going to get you. You may feel backed into a corner, but you need to forward. You need to remember the word of truth. God has you here. 
Why does he have you here? He's given you grace for this. Whatever you face, he will supply it. You have everything you need for life and godliness in this exact moment. So don't crumple, don't falter, don't fail, don't mumble, don't groan, don't complain. Rejoice. You have the God of the universe backing you, giving you everything you need, supplying for you. See, that gets you excited. The Christian is a rejoicer in the darkest of moments. We can have stunning composure in the midst of a world crisis because we know the living God. So the truth. In Christ... There is no point where you must break apart. You see, I ask my students uh, a lot uh, during a semester of training when they come out here. I say, what's your position? And they'll holler back at me, in Christ. And I even like it when they holler because I want them to understand. I want them to ratify it in the depths of their being. I want them to hold tightly to it. I want them to know this. What is your position? Do you know? You see, as a believer, when we turn to Christ, we are brought into the cleft of the rock. We are brought into that refuge known as Jesus Christ. We are put in armor. And so as a result, as believers, we can know that. We can shout it. We can declare it at the highest you know, uh, volumes. I am in Christ. And so in Christ, here's the truth, what it says in Scripture. There is no point where you must break apart. You don't need to fall to pieces because you're in Christ. There is no point that is beyond what you can handle. In Christ, you can endure this pain, this trial, this challenge as long as you must. In Christ, there is no attack of the enemy that you can't withstand. In Christ, there is no weight, no grief, no trauma too great for your soul to carry. You know how encouraging that is if you know that? You see, if you don't know that, you're vulnerable to foreboding. If you do know that, you are unstoppable. So I'm going to read a, a little flow of text here. It comes from the book Lords of the Earth. And I gave a series this last fall called Daring to Do a Stanley Dale. This is excerpted from one of the episodes in that called Daring to Die a Stanley Dale. I was so impacted. I've been impacted by this story for years, but even giving that particular message, I was deeply moved. It's, it's one of my favorites in the series. And I'm going to read it now because I always want to come up with excuses to get back to this. You know, when you finish up that series, Daring to Do a Stanley Dale, there's a grief, there's a loss, a good friend has just passed away. And so, you know what, you know, Eric can bring this up in a, in, a, in a series like Becoming Brave. This fits perfectly. So context, we're on Papua New Guinea uh, in the late 1960s, and we are getting to know a character named Stanley Albert Dale. Stanley Dale has taken on one of the most great, the greatest challenges any missionary has ever taken on, and that is the Yali uh, people, who uh, basically at this point want him dead. And yet, this man is so bold and so brave, and this story is so beautiful to my soul. So Don Richardson writes this, and I would highly encourage you to read Lords of the Earth, even though uh, if you have kids, I would be watchful not to just read the book without first reading it yourself. Uh, when the Ludi family has gone through it, we sort of skip over certain parts because it is <laughs> rather intense. Suddenly they came floundering through the river, bows held high. Uh-oh. The bad guys, the Yali are coming at them to kill Stan. Others streamed down through the forest, their floppy rattan coils rattling. Stan and Yemu stood at the lower end of the gravel beach facing them. Phil, Phil Masters, the guy that was on this journey with Stan, 
Phil was alone at the other end, 50 yards distant. The three Donnies waited another 30 yards beyond Phil. As they all looked back in horror, they saw Stan Ray's staff grimly facing the Wickboon horde. Yemu, leave me, he shouted over his shoulder. He kept his staff raised not to strike, but to form a barrier against the advancing tide of warriors. All of you, turn around and go home, he commanded. A priest of Kembu named Barraway slipped behind, around behind Stan and at point-blank range shot an arrow in under his upraised right arm. Another priest, Bunu, shot a bamboo-bladed shaft into Stan's back, just below his right shoulder. Yemu was crying now and shouting at them to stop. As the arrows entered his flesh, Stan pulled them out one by one, broke them, and cast them away. Dozens of men were coming at him from all directions. He kept pulling them out, breaking them, and dropping them at his feet until he could not keep ahead of them. Nalimo reached the scene after some 30 arrows had found their mark in Stan's body. So... I'm not sure how you face crisis in your life, but I would say this would probably be classified as a crisis in Stan's life, a crisis in Yemu's life, a crisis in Phil Master's life. And yet what I see Stan doing is telling everyone to leave so he can stand in the way and he can protect everyone. And if someone's going to die, he's willing to be the one. And then as he's being hit with arrows, he pulls them out and breaks them over his knee. Every one, one after the other, except there's so many coming at him, he now can't stay up with it. This is such an incredible picture of a believer. And it's, it's so deeply ingrained in my heart and mind that it's, it's a picture that I, I can't skip over for this particular message. How can we stand? How can he stand there so long, Nalimo gasps. So the warriors are, that are hitting stand with so many arrows are bewildered. They don't know what to do with this man. Why doesn't he fall? Any one of us would have fallen long ago. A different kind of shaft pierced, pierced Nalimo's own flesh, fear. The warriors themselves that are sticking arrows into Stan Dale are actually fearful. Perhaps he is immortal. Nalimo's normally impassive face melted with sudden emotion. Because of that emotion, Nalimo said later he did not shoot an arrow into Stan's body. Stan faced his enemies, steady and unwavering, except for the jolt of each new strike. Yemu ran to where, Stan, where Phil stood alone. Together they watched in anguish at Stan's agony. As some 50 or more warriors detached from the main force and came toward them, Phil pushed Yemu behind him and gestured speechlessly, speechlessly, run. Phil seemed hardly to notice the warriors encircling him. His eyes were fixed upon Stan. 50 arrows, 60 Red ribbons of blood trailed from the many wounds, but still Stan stood his ground. Nalimo saw that he was not alone in his fear. The attack had begun with hilarity, but now the warriors shot their arrows with desperation, bordering on panic because Stan refused to fall. Perhaps Kusaho was right. Perhaps they were committing a monstrous crime against the supernatural world instead of defending it as they intended. Fall! They screamed at Stan. Die! It was almost a plea. Please die! Yemo did not hear Phil say anything to the warriors as they aimed their arrows at him. Phil made no attempt to flee or struggle. He had faced danger many times, but never certain death. But Stan had showed him how to face it, if he needed an example. That example could hardly have been followed with greater courage. Once again, it was Barraway who shot the first arrow, and it took almost as many arrows to down Phil as it had Stan. I... I'm so moved by that story. Um, I'm going to walk you through a, a series of questions here. I, I remember there was a, 
there's an issue in the Bible, you know, a man whose quiver is full of children, you know, so, you know, how many children are we supposed to have if we're supposed to have a quiver full? So I, I remember I Google searched, this is a long time ago, uh, how many arrows make up a quiver uh, full or make a quiver full? And the answer came back and I thought it was so interesting and so profound. Well, it's full when you can't fit any more in it. And uh, this leads to a different sort of question, since we're speaking about arrows being shot into Stan Dale and Phil Masters. How many arrows can you take? You know, 50 to 100 uh, were shot into Stan and Phil. How many can you take? They would not fall. I mean, they just stood there. They took it. Stan would rip them out, break them over his knee. He defied it. It's an incredible picture of bravery in the midst of uh, what looks like death. But here's my answer. How many arrows can you take? As a believer, what is the answer to that? How much challenge can you take? As many as are shot at you. If you can grasp this in your spiritual life, it'll change it. If you recognize there is nothing the enemy can do to you that can outpace, that can outweigh God's grace that he will supply to you to face it. As many arrows as come your way, you will have the supply to be able to yank them out. You have grace for whatever flies your way. If you live, you show the triumph of the gospel. And if you die, you will show the triumph of the gospel. Live or die, it doesn't matter. We show the triumph of the gospel. We're believers. We don't fear death. We are brave. And that is part of the picture that I want you to begin to capture as we go through this series. Becoming brave. How do you become brave? Well, you get to know Jesus Christ, the one who is capital B, brave. And then Jesus Christ surrounds you as with a shield and puts you into him as a refuge. So now you're not just, you, know, just, you don't just know capital B, brave Jesus Christ, but now you're in capital B, brave. And then the Holy Spirit moves into you. The brave spirit, if you want to call him that. And now that very Christ is in you. That very capital B brave moves in. And you become, even though you're not capital B brave, you're lowercase b brave because of the capital B brave that lives inside of you. And you can now showcase the capital B brave in and through your life lived. Incredible. 2 Corinthians 12, 7 and 9, sort of based on the Stanley Dale, uh, Phil Masters illustration of bamboo-tipped arrows. So Paul had a thorn in the flesh. Well, let's call it a bamboo-tipped arrow in the flesh was given to me. A messenger of Satan to buffet me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. The more arrows, the more grace. You get an arrow in the flesh, you get 60, you get 100, doesn't matter. You get more grace. And that's how a believer thinks and reasons. When we are weak, then we are strong. Greeting death as a man. And I'm going to say in a subtitle of this one, applying Yoda wisdom. Now, it's a play on words. It's Y-O-D-A. And uh, it's not the little green guy from Star Wars that I'm referring to, though. Here's what it means. Yanking out the arrows. That's what Yoda means. Yanking out the arrows. You see, that's what we do. I don't care what the devil throws at you. You're brave. Yank him out. You're not intimidated by the devil's business. You're not intimidated by the devil's game. That's what God wants to build you into. Something strong for the very hour in which you were called. 
So here's a quote for your soul that you can adopt. Death, I will not fear you. I will not be cowed by you. I will not tremble before your snarling specter, for you are but a doorway into something even greater than this life here. In you, I find the vestibule of heaven. That's the doorway of heaven, the entryway of heaven. In you, I find the vestibule of heaven and the dear presence of my beloved Jesus. Why fear death? Why fear challenge? It makes you stronger. Why fear anything if you're in Jesus Christ? Bravery is on the table for the Christian. Pick it up and use it. So we're building our list of 10 facts that make a believer brave throughout this series. And so here's our list so far. God promises to make you inwardly doom-proof. Number two, God promises to give you a PhD in good news. And today's message, God promises to enable you to take any hit the enemy can dish out. God's blessings. I hope this is encouraging and strengthening to your soul. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder episodes are released every day, Monday through Friday, from our campus in Windsor, Colorado. And our weekly sermon is delivered live at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings with a delayed live stream available at noon Mountain Time. Go to ellerslie.com forward slash daily to get all the details. Thanks for listening.